you, thank you, thank you, thank you. His love is crazy. All that he knows about you and me, yet he still loves us. Amen. Can nobody do me like Jesus? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody like him. I'm so grateful that I am accepted in the beloved. We have our fullness in him. We are complete. Somebody ought to praise him just for that. I'm complete in him. I have my standing and my access to God through him, through him. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Would you stand with me as we turn our attention to the, God, the word of God? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, our primary passage is going to be uh, in chapter 10, but I want to read in your hearing verse 3 of chapter 11. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Say that last portion of the verse with me. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Father, we thank you. We bless you for all that you are doing. And we trust, O oh God, that we would allow the Spirit of God to have his way. O oh God, you said that if we would respond to the knock of the door in our hearts by Jesus, your Son, that he would come in and that he would commune with us and, and we with him. And so, God, we want that fellowship right now. So we say, yes, Lord, come in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As I've already said, on last week we traveled to Philadelphia, and what a different experience for us. So grateful for this congregation and uh, for the ministry, this ministry that God has given me to shepherd with the help of others, I just got a greater sense of the, the holiness of the call of God for this ministry, this ministry, this ministry. After uh, graduating from Dallas Seminary many moons ago. I was given an invitation to attend a pastor's conference uh, in Dallas, uh, the E.K. Bailey's pastor's conference. And while I was there, I heard a sermon uh, that completely uh, blew me away by Dr. Joel C. Gregory, uh, who spoke at one of the general sessions. And those of us who attend the Mighty Men of Valor, uh, Dr. Gregory was one of the speakers that used to come on a regular basis. Although the majority of those who were in attendance, I would say about 98% of the, the pastors that were present were African-American, uh, Dr. Gregory turned the house upside down. I cannot remember the title of his sermon or the text from which he preached his message. What I do remember is the testimony that he shared at the end of the sermon. Before Dr. 
Criswell, uh, Wally Amos Criswell became the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas. Uh, I, if I get my, my, my timing correctly, Pastor uh, uh, Joel Gregory was called. He was elected to pastor that church. And the First Baptist Church in Dallas is currently the largest Baptist church in the country. And he could not have been happier. Uh, he could not have been more prepared. He, was, uh, he is a very learned man, a very eloquent man. He is a prolific writer. He is in great demand as a, as a public speaker. He is a professor of homiletics, uh, even currently as we speak. Uh, his time at First Baptist did not last long. The honeymoon wore off. And he was pressured to resign. Now, he could have engaged in a public, legal uh, battle with the church, but rather than bring shame to the name of Christ, he graciously stepped down as the pastor. And so in a matter of days, Joel Gregory Dr. Joel Gregory, pastor of First Baptist Church, went from living in a mansion, he and his wife paid, by, paid for by the church, the church's parsonage was a mansion, from living in a mansion to a one-bedroom apartment, and from making a six-digit salary to becoming a door-to-door -door salesman of prearranged funerals. Things had gotten so bad uh, during those days for uh, Joel Gregory that he felt that his wife and, his, and those who knew him best would be better off if he took his life, if he, was, if he were dead. And so he contemplated suicide. And it was at the worst and the lowest point of his experience of not being in the pastorate, the humiliation of being basically fired, that he got a call from Dr. E.K. Bailey, the pastor of Concord Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, who has since gone home to be with the Lord. And he was invited to be a keynote speaker at the pastor's conference. And that was the first engagement that he had post his resignation from First Baptist Church. And after he spoke, there was a question and answer session. And uh, one of the uh, pastors asked, what did you learn from all that you went through that ultimately led you to a place of contemplating taking your own life? And then he took his Bible and he opened his Bible to the front cover, and he had taped inside of his Bible. Back then, we used three-by-five cards. <laughs> and he had the, the four letters, K-I-S-S. -S. And it absolutely made no sense to me. Why would he have the, the letters KISS inside of his Bible? And then he said it was an acronym for keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and he says, from the experience of losing the church and all the other things that happened, he realized that he had spent most of his Christian life overthinking, stressed out, tormented, never or in, in, in many instances losing sleep, unable to shut his mind down. And I almost want to suggest today, being in this, in this period and time of information overload, and that's how God kind of uh, put on my heart to share this message is, there's just so much information. I mean, every time you turn around, your cell phone is pinging, uh, a new something is happening in Washington, and you're getting emails and text messages. So our minds are just fried. 
And I don't know about you, but even last night, I, I, I prepared a sermon about overthinking, and here I am lying in bed at four in the morning overthinking. <laughs> and so the message for us today, if we are going to come to a place of total disclosure, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, is that we need to keep it simple. Turn to somebody and say that, keep it simple. Stupid. Now I'm dumb. <laughs> or you could I actually, I actually almost said, keep it simple. But to put the, I used to, I actually, I would tape that on the, on my, on the pulpit because I over, overthought the sermons. I overthought my class. I was never prepared, even though I spent 8 to 10, 16 hours sometime prepared. I still wasn't prepared. And so I would get up and look back at, the, back at the pulpit, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And I can say that because the Lord says that God confounds the wise things through the foolishness of this world. And so if God can identify those who he is using as foolish, it's okay to call me stupid. So we want to keep it simple. We want to keep it simple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we actually hear these words, this warning from the Apostle Paul about the danger of overthinking. And one of the things that happens with people overthinkers is we're, we're control freaks. We, we are. We, we, we want to be in control. We want everything to be where the way we think it ought to be. And, and when we come back, we expect it to be just like we left it. And I don't know about you, but... I want to come to church every Sunday and not know what God is going to do. I, 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 want, I want to be surprised by God. He is not limited to our thoughts and our plans. Our, am I right about it? And so the Apostle Paul warns uh, the Corinthian church who, who they were challenging his calling, his, his apostleship, his right to be the pastor. He said, you have many fathers, but you, you have many teachers. You have many leaders, but you only have one spiritual father. And, and so in response to their challenges about Paul's appearance, he, he wasn't the most handsome. He, he, didn't, he wasn't endowed like some of us. Uh, he wasn't the most articulate and eloquent. He responds in, chapter, in the, the entire book of 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's defense to the church that he started about why he had the right to be the pastor of the church. The whole book. It made no sense to me, but when you are in the role of pastoring, then you understand why Paul wrote that book. Although he warns, he warns uh, the, the church. He said, but I fear, say I fear, lest by any means as a serpent, who was a serpent? Satan beguiled Eve in the garden through subtlety, through his subtlety, through craftiness, deceitfulness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Underline the words, your minds should not be corrupt from the simplicity that is in Christ. And all Paul is saying is keep it simple, keep it simple. Keep it simple, because it's not complicated to follow Christ. It really isn't. It's not complicated. And what the devil's job is, is to so crowd your mind with the cares of this world that you are distracted from hearing the clear directives from the Lord. The clear directives from the Lord. Now, what does it mean to overthink? Now, don't overthink the question. We overthink when we put too much time into thinking about or analyzing something in a way that is more harmful than helpful. At some point, you got to take the eggs off the stove. You got to stop boiling the eggs. You got to stop wondering and questioning. I wonder if they're done. You don't have to boil all the water out. So when, when something moves from being helpful 
to harmful, now you are in the realm of overthinking. We are overthinking when, when thoughts about problems, relational issues, and even, when, uh, and even plans dominate our every waking moment. All you're thinking about is whatever that situation it is, it's like having a rock in your shoe. It, everywhere you go, that thought keeps recircling, uh, like a revolving door, keeps rolling around in your mind. You're overthinking. Now, the truth is that all of us overthink from time to time. It doesn't matter who you are, because none of us, the only person that ever makes perfect decisions all the time is who? Is the Lord. But overthinkers are so afraid of making a mistake that they will hesitate to make the decision for fear that there's going to be some type of consequence because the decision is not perfect. Someone has called overthinking analysis by paralysis. It keeps you, when, when you are now analyzing something that leads to paralysis, what happens is you, you, you never move forward to make a final decision. And so what is necessary to move something forward doesn't happen because of you, you're overanalyzing, you're overscrutinizing, you, you're taking something apart that really, in many instances, as we're going to see, only require a decision. Somebody say amen. amen. It keeps you from moving forward. Sometimes some of us, our greatest certainty is in uncertainty. Our greatest strength is that we're in, indecisive. We don't make a decision about anything. And then we become frustrated when others make decisions for us. Keep it simple. Don't overthink. Don't allow your thoughts to lead you to anxiety. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That word uh, uh, literally means, merimnon uh, means to be poured, pulled in multiple directions at the same time. It's, the, it's what Paul, James describes in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When you are indecisive, you're double-minded. You're marimnon. You are being pulled in different directions. Now, what God doesn't want is for us to be haphazard in our decision-making. He has no problem with thorough and clear thinking. You don't need to raise your hand and make an instant. I have a friend like that. You call him, no matter what's going on, he's got an answer for everything. That's not the real world. Some things really take uh, time to pray through, think through. And so God is not against thorough thinking and careful deliberations. But God is against wrong thinking. There is wrong thinking and there is right thinking. And so we want to talk about that. Let me, let me talk about how wrong thinking, which includes overthinking something, analysis by paralysis. If you, are, if you are occupying your time in your mind and you've allowed something to set up shop, park in your brain, you're not walking through the valley, you're parked in the valley. If what your thoughts are do not have any eternal value, you're overthinking. You're overthinking if it has no eternal value. Here's what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then... You have been raised from, with Christ. Set your heart on things above. And heart here really means your thoughts, your focus. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. What God wants to release us to is whatever his destiny is for our life, but when our thoughts are focused on the temporal, 
on only what you can see, feel, touch, and hear, then you are not operating in the realm of good thinking. You're putting yourself in the position where you're going to be overthinking. One of the things that I've discovered and we're going to see is that when you operate, if, you, if you're going through something, maybe it's relational, you're having problems in your marriage, having difficulty with your children, having problems at work, what we, try, we try to figure it out, human nature. The issue becomes stressful to us when we start operating outside of what God has said about our situation. And so as we move on, so the first thing is, what is wrong thinking that is overthinking thoughts that have no eternal value? What are you focused on? What is your conversation mainly about? I was sharing with someone that I had for the last, I, went, I preached last week, and I've never in all the years of preaching, 40 years of preaching, I've never sat in a pulpit, and I was totally depressed. I couldn't fake it. <laughs> no smile. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't tap my toe. I, and I went and I whispered to my wife here. I said, look, pray for me. I have never in all of the years of I've been in ministry ever felt like this. And God praised the Lord when I got up and I started preaching. The Holy Spirit kicked in. But now i got to figure out what in the world happened. <laughs> what, what was going on? See, what, what I've discovered about myself is when I am thinking too much about myself, I find that I start becoming discouraged. But when I put the interest of others above my own, when I turn my attention from earthly, temporal things that I can see, when I have the perspective of God, all of a sudden the burden begins to lift. And so when I started serving and being a blessing, there was no more pressing. And so the first thing that, that, that when we talk about thoughts that are not good, that, that lead us to stress, and you, you, you're just worn out there, people. You haven't lifted a finger. You went to sleep last night, and you woke up more tired than you were before you went to bed. I want you to, when your mind is exhausted, when, you're, when your brain is fried, because you have overcooked your thoughts, your attention is not focused on eternal things but on temporal things. Thoughts that, uh, all right, stay with me. I, I, I left a part of my sermon somewhere. I don't know where that. Thoughts that depend solely on human intellect. The Bible says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. When my main concern is what people will say or how they will respond to what I do, then my thoughts are incorrect because now I've got improper motives. I'm operating in the realm of a people pleaser. So thoughts that depend solely on human intellect we go to Google, and we done diagnosed ourselves. We done got the prescription that we need. We done traveled around the world, and we, the most, we know more than the doctors know now. And then we're shocked when we get in, and we did all this research, and the doctor simply says, oh, you got a nail in your head. Whatever the doctor may say, and it's totally different. But the doctor, the doctor and the attorney and the, and, the, and the scholars are not the final say. Whose report will you believe when you put too much value on intellect and wisdom from man without understanding that God's thoughts and ours are different? You're not thinking right. Here's a final thing, and there are many things that, that can illustrate this point of not, not wrong kinds of thinking that leads to overthinking. Thoughts that are dominated by your feelings. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, here's what he says about our thoughts. 
that are dominated by emotions. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. What happened? Our thoughts lack divine insight because of our sin nature. And so when I'm operating in the realm of my feelings, the Bible says the heart is deceitful. The seat of my emotions, my, my, my feelings, I can't trust the, the, my, my feelings apart from the Holy Spirit because they're desperately wicked. My, my, my nature is fallen, and, and, and the way I'm going to see things when I'm operating in my emotions is going to be from the perspective of my flesh. That's why you don't want to make emotional decisions. That's why you want to have your offering already prepared before you come to church so that the prophet doesn't tell you, God told me to tell you to put $500. I had a guy call me the other day about a need, and he said the, the brother was just helping him and, and just praying with him and giving him scripture. And he said, look, if you give me $1,000, my wife and, and, and prophetess, whatever her, her name was, will come to your house. And we will pray with you and put oil. The man needed money. Why would he be asking for money? He called you because he needed money, not because he wanted to give you something. God's, the blessings of God are not for sale. But when you operate in your feelings, you'll be putting somebody in the ground for $40,000 and getting evicted from your home the next day because you can't pay the rent. Now, here's some examples of right thinking. Say, somebody say right thinking. Thoughts that are informed by a divine revelation. Thoughts that are informed. Listen to what the scripture says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. This is powerful. Reflect, consider, think on what I am saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So you, the, you, the thought comes into your mind. You need to make a decision or you need to have a discussion. And, and so Paul says, think about what I am saying. I'm giving you the word of God and what you can count on when you inform your thoughts about what God has said is that Jesus will give you insight. And so what you want to do, figure out what the, what the problem may be, what the decision needs to be. And then take this word and inform your thoughts. Tell your thoughts how you ought to think from this scripture. And the Bible says that Christ will give you insight. How often are you taking what the decisions that you're going to make and informing the conclusions with this? And so good decisions, right decisions, are divine, are informed by divine revelation. Where's the script? I don't even hear people, Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I don't hear nobody quoting scriptures anymore. We don't even use the word of God. We don't even, we're not even ashamed of it. One, we don't know it. But the, 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 the Bible doesn't say that there's authority in my words, but he says all scripture is, feel, is breathed from the very mouth of God. The word of God has authority. That's why the Bible says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will never, it will what never return unto me, Lord, but it will always accomplish that which I please and wherever I send it. Inform your thoughts with the word of God. Stop operating in the foolishness of your flesh. What does God say about how you're thinking? That'll shut down a whole bunch of nonsense. That'll let you go to sleep tonight. You been worrying about somebody, what they might do, what they might not do, what they said, what they didn't say. What has God said about how you're thinking? Inform, be informed by divine revelation. Here's another good thought. Thoughts that result from transformation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And be not conformed 
Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Be completely recreated. So it's one thing to be informed, but now what we want to do with what God has revealed in terms of the insight about what I'm thinking about, now I want his word. He says, be ye transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to do what is acceptable. And so I want revelation to lead to transformation in my attitude. I, I, I know I can see it a different way. Now my attitude has changed. Now the decision that I'm going to make, so all this is still in between my ears, revelation and transformation. But the next thing is there needs to be submission. You can have revelation, transformation, but if all that you, is that all you have, you're like James. James said, don't be a hearer of the word. Don't just be a revelation seeker and a transformation seeker, but be a submitter. He said, but be he what? A doer of the word. The scripture said, let this mind be in you, which was in, what, what, that was in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Jesus have? Well, he was at the front of the church. Uh, he, he, he had a... Uh, he, he was the most prominent person. No, no, no. The Bible says that he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. I want to be known as a servant. I, I don't want nobody to outdo me in service. I, I, I want to be, I want to bless everybody that comes in my path in such a way that I am through the actions of my revelation that has gave me transformation. Now I'm operating like Jesus in submission. He humbled himself. But you know, good thinking doesn't even stop with revelation, transformation, and submission. It also requires anticipation. Say anticipation. anticipation. The anticipation is what God said he's going to do. He's going to do it. I can count on him. Whatever he promised, he will do. He is not a man that he should lie. David said, I've been young, I've been old, and I've been young, and go, we'll reverse this thing. I've been old, young, and then I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread, because the promise of God is, I will supply, not I might, not that I simply can, but he said, I will supply. What? How many of you need? Come on, church, how many? If you need a husband, how many? Oh, if, oh that kind of weekend. How many? Oh. If I need a better job. Oh. If I need insight to a problem. Oh. All of your needs according to my riches through Christ Jesus. Anticipation. I may not fully understand it. Eyes have not seen Ears have not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of man all that God has for them. That lean, that lean, that trust, he will reveal. So there's good thinking and bad thinking. Now, I'm not going to put my wife on blast or nothing. <laughs> but let me just say, recently... As of probably a year ago, Brandon, no, my oldest son, we went and got a new cell phone for him, for me. And they said, you have 16 gigabytes. <laughs> and that, 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 for me, that's, that's, that's that, and they explained, that's how much memory your phone is capable to store. That means your pictures, your texts, uh, your emails, uh, whatever else has come, that, that it can store up to 16 gigabytes. But once you exceed 16 gigabytes, you're on overload. Your phone, my phone was not designed to store more information than 16 gigabytes. So when you get to the point where you're overloaded, 
it starts erasing things, and your phone starts to slow, and, and you start talking to your phone, and it starts speaking in tongues, and, and, and you're throwing it away and wondering, oh, what kind of spirit is this? No, the spirit is you, you are trying to do through your phone what it wasn't designed to do. I want you to understand that God has designed you and me in such a way that he gives us enough strength for today's journey. He gives us enough strength for today's daily bread. And when we take today's problem into tomorrow by overthinking, now we put ourselves in a position where the enemy can defeat us. We, what is overthinking? I've just shared it. It's analysis by paralysis. You don't have to try to figure out how the, how the, the person got shot. You need to get him to the hospital. By the time you figure out the trajectory of the bullet and the distance and the color, and the, they, that person's dead. You get him to the hospital, but you, what did you, it didn't help you. You, you, you. Stay with me. Why? Is it dangerous to overthink? One of the things that happens when you overthink, you done worked out and pumped all of your weights and you're eating all right the same day, and you look in the mirror, and it's not a skinny mirror, it's a real thing. You get to see all of you. And then you start, then, then what happens is the confidence and the, the comfort that you had Overthinking robs you of your peace. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me share some scriptures with you about peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. That's my wife's favorite passage. He will keep you in complete peace. He didn't say there wouldn't be a storm. He didn't say weapons wouldn't be formed against you. He didn't say that, that the devil, that the fire and the challenges of the enemy wouldn't come against you. But he says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will what, raise up a standard. I'm going to raise up a standard because what? Greater is he. You believe that? Somebody ought to say, I believe that. Greater is he. Say, greater is he who is in me. I don't know about you, but in me than he that is in the world. Listen at what uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. Listen to uh, Psalm 4 verse 8. It says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. <laughs> For you alone, O oh Lord, makes me to dwell in what? Safety. When your mind is on overdrive, you don't have any peace. And so whatever you were worrying about, it didn't go away. <laughs> you just created another problem because you're worried about your problem. Oh, it's quiet up in here. I, I know I'm telling the truth. Let me just talk about myself. Overthinking relies on human power, and we kind of said this in a different way, more than God. Psalm 56, verses 3 through 4, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Don't trust in people to rescue you out of your valley of the shadow of death. God says, I'm with you. Not to stay in the valley. I'm walking with you through it. I may not deliver you out of it, but in the midst of your valley, I will be the fourth man in the flames. I will keep you from being destroyed. I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. You're on the winning team. Yes, you are. Overthinking results in ungodly decisions. Saul decided to operate it in an anointing that wasn't his. The prophet said, wait seven days, and then I will pray, and I will uh, give you directions from the Lord. Saul, uh, Samuel didn't get there until the eighth day. 
But he said the, the key was wait until. That's faith, until. But Saul decided, well, you know what? I see the people fleeing, and it looks like the enemy hadn't shot a, a web, hadn't shot a bullet, not an arrow, nothing. And he decided to operate in the capacity of a priest. He put on the ephod, and he offered up an offering. And just as he was doing it, the prophet showed up, and he says, what have you done? What have you done? When you are operating in your flesh, you're going to make bad decisions. The prophet Samuel, God said, I have already replaced Saul. Don't stop grieving over him. Uh, and so he goes before David's seven sons. He actually has eight. And, and the first son is tall and he's handsome and he looks like me. You know, I always tell people before I became a father, I was six foot six. And now look at me. See what parenting will do. And the prophet Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before us. It was God gave the prophet the, the job to the anoint. It wasn't, it wasn't the prophet's uh, job to choose. God said, I'll direct you, prophet, who to choose. And he says, listen, listen understand something. Man <laughs> looks at the outward appearance, but what God, God weighs the heart. God knows what's on the inside. So you'll be choosing the wrong man and the wrong woman if you operate in your thinking. Sarah and Abraham said, we don't waited too long for this child. God promised that he would give Abraham and Sarah a son. And now 10 years have passed, and, and Sarah's 65 and Abraham's 75. So they said, well, maybe God needs some help. Maybe there's some extra biblical revelation. And so they decided that Hagar was going to be the first surrogate mother in the Bible. And to this very day, what's happening in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan is the consequence of Abraham's decision. When you operate in your own thinking, it has generational consequences. That's what I'm learning as I'm getting older. This is about legacy now. This is about setting this thing up so it'll continue. King Saul was tormented by jealousy because he said, surely David could want nothing else but my kingdom. David wasn't thinking some of the stuff that we messed up with in our minds never even crossed the person's mind that you, that, that, that's keeping you awake at night. Somebody say amen. amen. Say it's dangerous. When you allow yourself to overthink, it'll wreck your marriage. Mess up your relationship with your children. It'll prevent you from ever having an intimate relation with anybody because as soon as somebody says something, you're going to overthink it. I often say, I, I, I talk about myself. I can laugh. I can mess up. I'm going to tell you. I'll get your name wrong. I, got, I finally got Caitlin's right. It only took me four years, but I got it. But that's all right. You need to learn how. You ain't that serious. You, you just ain't. The show will go on when you and you're buried and dead. I don't mean to, to, to hurt your feelings or nothing, but learn how to laugh at yourself. Now, let's, 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 let's finish it up with this. Now, how can you gain victory from overthinking? When you get an opportunity, I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, Paul speaking of himself, we, are, we do not do war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are what? Are not carnal, but mighty, to the pull, mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Hallelujah. Yeah. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's, man, oh, oh. That's, a, that's a praise to the Lord, right? Oh, my God. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, watch this. There are two responses to overthinking. Here's the cure. Now, this was interesting. God didn't give me this until this 4 o'clock this morning. 
I'm getting ready to preach about overthinking. And I've got a lump in my throat. I'm overthinking. So my problem was, I know what the Bible says. That ain't my problem. Am I by myself? Mm -hmm. So there's a theological response to overthinking, and there's a practical response. The practical response is what didn't show up on my papers, <laughs> but I remember, praise the Lord, because he gave it to me this morning. Stay with me. Here's the theological response from verses 3 through 6, and I'm not going to go into all the details. Let me give you, here's what we already know. He says, pull down strongholds. Say, pull down strongholds. That means you must tear down strongholds. They don't just fall down. They're not just going to go away. Your thought, the way you've been thinking all your life, it just isn't going to disappear and say goodbye. I'm going on vacation. No, no, it don't go like that. And here's the danger. The older we get, the harder it is for us to change. I have an area in my life right now that I'm committing to. I already told Brother Brian, he better shut up. Mind his own business. <laughs> now, I ain't going to ask him how successful he's been. But I, I, I didn't succeed. This week, I didn't succeed. Now, I ain't nothing crazy like yours, you know, like yours. <laughs> but it's hard to change. And guess what? The Bible said, can a leopard change his spots and Ethiopian his color? No, we can't do this. So I'm going to commit, and we're going to go into the new year. We're going to find something that God, that is, that's been hard for us to give up, and we're going to give it up. Yes. Come on now. Say amen. I've already given you months to pray about it, whatever that is. And I'm, it has to be something serious now and important to you. So it needs to be totally removed. The Bible says, do not make provisions for the fulfilling of the lust of your flesh. There's some things that we don't need to have home. After 7 o'clock, I'm a man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a barbarian. When it, I'm going to eat everything. Yeah. Then I'm going to be looking for the Zantac that you can't use anymore. So there's some things. Make no provision. Pull down. Say pull down. Stronghold. Cast down every argument. That means to deliberately reject any thought that disagrees with the word of God. Does what you're thinking line up with the word? And if it doesn't, it's wrong. Amen. <laughs> we ain't trying to get it together. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Praise the Lord. Turn with me. I'm, I'm working my way through this. Bring every thought into captivity in obedience to Christ. That means in order, you can't just, I declare it, I declare it. Devil, get behind me. You're under my foot. You're defeated. I'm here. We say all that nonsense. And then you go right out and do the same thing. <laughs> Bringing every thought under captivity means that you must die daily to your flesh. You must, you must take up your cross and stay on it until God delivers you from it. Bring every thought with all of the noise from the cell phones and sports and uh, fantasies and et cetera. Bring every thought. I will not be brought captive under anything other than Jesus. Finally, take radical action against every attempt that anything that, it, that stands tries to prevent your obedience to the Lord. That's what he says, punish, with all dis punish all disobedience. Whatever would keep you from obeying the Lord, take radical actions. Here, now here's the practical part. Are you ready for the practical part? Here, we'll finish with this. Make a decision. Make, say, make a decision. This is how you stop overthinking. Make a decision that is informed by God's word. Trust him for the result. Make a decision. Don't leave the store. You paid the money. Now you're going to look for sales. You made a decision. You purchased it. <laughs> Don't eat the food. Lick the plate and the spoon 
and to say, I wonder if I should have that. <laughs> Make a decision and trust God for the results. Here's the second thing. When your mind is on overdrive, meditate on key passages that comfort you. So you need to always already have a power pack. It may be Psalm 23 for you, Psalm 1, Psalm 73, my feet almost slipped. Uh, it may be Psalm 103, blessed the Lord at all times. It may be Psalm 127, Psalm whatever. You need to have scripture that you can stop worrying and, and, and be still and know that I'm God. You don't have to read the whole Bible. Just read your, 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 your prescription. Take your prescription. Meditate on it. And then memorize. Write this down. Memorize Philippians 4.8. And I actually had that typed out. Whatever's good, whatever's pure, whatever's true, whatever's of good virtue, think on these things. Quote that scripture when your mind is going crazy. Here's another thing. Move off the throne of your life. You're not in charge. When you're overthinking, guess what? You're acting like you're in charge of something. <laughs> you're not! <laughs> Move off of the throne of your life. God's got you. God's got you. Move out of the way. You were never designed to sit on the throne. Finally, manage your decisions by sharing with godly people that you can be transparent with. There ought to be somebody in your life that you can be totally honest with about your fears, about your anger, if you're jealous, if you're disappointed, if you feel like telling somebody off and not with Christian words. There ought to be at least one person in your life that will not judge you for that. Now, they're not going to tell you to go in and do it, but you, sometimes all you need is to be heard. Who is that person in your life that you can manage your feelings, your anxious feelings, that is causing your mind to go in overdrive, that you can be totally honest with? Lord, I'm, I'm just so afraid. I'm so lonely. Anybody ever been lonely? You're in a crowded room and you feel all by yourself. Have you ever had a question that Christians shouldn't ask? And you just wanted to raise the question without everybody leaping on you. Oh, you ain't saying, I'm kind of Christian are you. I mean, you've been in the church long enough to know better than that. If you don't have someone like that, sometimes that could be an elder in the church. Doesn't have to be me. It could be an elder in the church. It could be a deacon. It could be a deaconess. Somebody that you can share with full confidence. Amen. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm tempted. I've fallen. I'm dabbling in this or that or the other. The strength of sin is secrecy. So as long as you're operating in darkness, you'll stay in bondage. So the devil doesn't want you to tell because once you tell, it's out in the open and then the, then the power is broken. Stand with me.